0: Carla, and welcome to Spirituality Matters, a podcast that focuses on the intersection of spirituality and humanity. So let's settle in and find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the holy transcends our physical bodies and our time together is just as sacred and meaningful as if we were sitting beside one another. Okay, let's get started. With this episode, we're going to be trying something new. A couple of times each month, I'll be coming to you to answer your questions. We have quite a backlog of them, and we know that this is something that helps you on your spiritual journey. So we're going to just dive right into it. As they say in the social media land, let's get into it. Okay, the first question is, what is the difference between deconstructing Christianity and completely rejecting it? Well, The first thing that came to mind for me when I was thinking of the answer to this question is anger. What is rising up for you as you deconstruct? Because if you think that you're deconstructing, but you're holding on to anger, you're holding on to bitterness, you're holding on to things and feel like you're stagnant, or you are looking for vengeance, then that is a good uh, indication that your rejection of your religion or your religious heritage it has not moved you forward enough away from the harm that was done to you and you might want to consider what other elements of deconstructing that you need to put in place. And I've made videos about this because there are creators on social media whose entire platforms are on just rejecting their faith without deconstructing. And it's not necessarily a judgment on it. It's an observation um, because it feels from the outside looking in that they are stuck in the story. They're stuck in the story, and I'm not seeing a lot of forward-facing content. Now, granted, I'll go back and revisit those things because I hope that it helps you. I'm offering you a mirror so you can see those places where my story might resonate with you and say, yeah, I felt that. That was triggering. This might be a place where I need to go and address this healing. Now, can you live in a place where you have rejected your faith and not healthfully deconstructed from it? Of course you can. Of course you can live that way. Again, no judgment, but is it healthy to live with anger, bitterness and oftentimes live with these indoctrinated beliefs? No, I don't I don't believe it is. So, oftentimes when we're holding on to some of that anger and bitterness and we're staying in that stagnant existence, that will limit our human experience, our lived experiences going forward. Now, I've seen this several times dealing with uh, former Christian men who are uh, rejecting their faith, but oftentimes they're trying—they're out here trying to set up systems without them even knowing it, where any anybody who's not a white ex-Christian male should somehow be subservient to the- to them. They don't even recognize that they're doing it. In other words, they're still holding on to this indoctrinated power structure that says that them as the white male gets to be on top. Of certain things. Mm, Really? No, that's not the way it's working out here. We're rejecting the entirety of those and we've deconstructed from it so that we can see the harm that those power structures caused us. So we're not going to come out here and replicate that and be beholden to it. So it's caused tension. And so you start to see, and it certainly has happened with me, where I've had to block people who are on deconstructing journeys because of the way they've tried to mansplain or gatekeep my content and wanting to just kind of glob on to my story and change it for their benefit. I'm not going to do that. So oftentimes that would lead to tension. Like, you know, it's better that we just, we're just on a separate journey here and you just go do your thing. I'm not going to try to integrate that because I tried that in religion and it didn't work. Now, obviously, I talk about deconstructing uh, Christianity a lot that we just are by the time this podcast gets released, my deconstructing uh, Christianity uh, course will have been launched. So there's all kinds of things. There's a resource guide right now on revcarla.com that you can go read where I talk about deconstructing Christianity, all of that um, to say that you can go out and find some resources here, we talk about it quite a bit, and then you can go into some of my courses that where you can register and learn more about it. But these two terms, deconstructing and rejecting, oftentimes get confused. So I think it is important to look at the key differences between those. So when you're deconstructing something, you are taking it apart and critically examining what is it that that, that no longer is working. So when you're deconstructing Christianity, you're taking apart these elements because at the core of those beliefs is you, and you're still trying to hold on to the parts that served you, the parts that honor who you are, the parts that's part of your religious heritage or your ancestral heritage. So you you don't want to necessarily just blow the whole thing up and reject it. You are trying to find what parts of that, your experience still resonate with you so that you don't feel like you've lost everything that is, is you. So that's typically what deconstructing Christianity means is, is peeling away the things, the toxicity that caused you harm, but still somehow trying to connect with or honor the things that actually worked for you that actually you can say, yeah, these things were good and it made me a part of who I am. I know for the longest time on my deconstructing journey, that was one of the hardest things for me was this tension that I felt with, I know I'm, I'm rejecting and deconstructing those things that say, okay, no, I don't believe in patriarchy. I don't believe that women are subservient. I don't believe that that women can't be ministers. I'm rejecting all of that. So now, not only did I deconstruct it and I examined it, I said, no, I don't want anything to do with that. So I absolutely rejected those things. I rejected the fact that religion shouldn't be involved in, uh, should be in, involved in politics. I reject all that. I reject the fact that you feel like you can take your religious belief and then mandate how other people should rel- live. I reject all of that. As I deconstructed, I examined them and said, "No, nope, those, those go away. But the parts that did work, like my grandmother, I spent so many hours in church with my grandmother and I didn't want to lose that because I feel that that experience with her instilled in me a desire to show up in the world as a reflection of what my my soul is. And that came from her, even though she was entrenched in, in the Southern Baptist tradition, what she gave me was a desire to to live this human experience through the connection with my soul and to continue to continue on my journey, that that would be my guiding beacon. So for the longest time that I, I held that intention until I realized I can do that, I can reject elements of my religious heritage and hold on to those things that still show me who I am. It's a foundation on which I exist. So that's what deconstructing as it relates to Christianity means. So it's a process that can take months, years. It can take a lifetime. It actually can be that your deconstructing journey is your spiritual journey. I actually think it's healthy because it allows you to always approach things with a discerning eye. And are there things now that's happening that give you an opportunity to dismantle and detach from an indoctrinated belief and live in the curious where in perhaps you're deconstructed in your indoctrinated beliefs from your past, you were taught that the world is up, down, left, right, black, white, yes, no, right, wrong, sin, good. You you were taught all those things that everything was very much dogmatic and it lived in duality. And now you want to live more expansively. So you approach your spiritual journey with a deconstructing attitude. So I don't think even after all the years that I have been deconstructing, I don't think you ever stop. And I think that that's okay. Some people will be like, Oh my gosh, I don't ever want to be that way. But it really does. At first, I thought, is this ever going to end? Because there are times when it was tough, when you have to face some of your indoctrinated beliefs that you don't even realize you're holding, that somehow you feel that you have a moral or spiritual superiority over another. And someone calls you out on that. That doesn't necessarily feel so good. But that's when you know that you're committed. You can take the correction. You can stand in humility and say, yes, I I, I didn't realize I was holding on to that indoctrinated belief and I'm going to commit to do better and thank you for that correction i see what i did that's what's important now when you completely reject it as i said with the things related to women not having the ability to teach being gay being a sin those things i reject all that that you can also reject just the entirety of the christian faith that's your prerogative no one has the right to gatekeep your spirituality so you can take a definitive break an absolute definitive break from your religious heritage and its teachings. That's okay. This means that you believe what for whatever reason. You don't even have to give a reason like if you think it's completely untrue or you could think it's completely toxic. But that, that's yours. That's yours to hold on to. You don't have to defend it, but that's what rejection typically means. Because in order for you to live in your human experience, you have to be completely liberated from it. You don't even want to think about the theology. You don't want to think about how it impacts you. You just want to be free from it. Either way, whether you're you're analyzing and peeling back the layers of those indoctrinated beliefs, or you just cut it off and say, no, I'm leaving that behind me. It's very common to have this sense of grief and sense of loss because Regardless of your journey, when you start to question your faith, especially from these high control belief systems like an evangelical or conservative fundamentalist Christianity, all of a sudden you lose your spiritual community. You lose your identity. It's an either or thing for most of these communities. If you're not in being completely subservient to and obedient to the church, then you're out. And that's the way everybody treats you. And you will feel this sense of loss competing with this sense of empowerment and this sense of self-determination that you're going to be okay. And you're going to continue to move forward. So be prepared for a little bit of that. So you can also, this is just, just throw, I'm going to throw this out here as well, that you can deconstruct and completely reject. So In other words, there's no right answer for anybody. Just like I told you that when I started to deconstruct and I came to those places where I really had to consider what my identity meant when it came to the parts of my past that really were meaningful for me, where I was able to separate myself from the indoctrinated beliefs that evangelical Christianity had taught me. And from the experience of a loving grandmother who wanted her granddaughter to understand that there's something out there bigger than she is and to move towards it. You might not completely understand it, but move towards it in your life. And that's going to make you a better person. Now, I could have come to that place in my deconstructing and said, you know what? I don't I don't want this. It's it's painful to me. I can't I don't want to honor this. I'm going to just reject the whole thing. You will discover for yourself when you're willing to go through the deconstructing process, what is yours to keep and what is yours to release. And that, so there will be elements of it that you may fully reject and other things that you won't, but it is a valuable process and it will ensure deconstructing ensures that you will not remain in those indoctrinated beliefs. You will not stay stagnant you deconstructing and rejecting can both be liberating what it's about more than anything. First of all, either way you choose is your choice. But if you are living with indoctrinated beliefs, people constantly are calling you out for your supposed air of, of superiority or your judgment or whatever it is, some kind of indoctrinated belief, you're getting called out, you're being invited To look at one of these beliefs that you're still holding on to, or if you feel anger and a pervasive sense of bitterness, or you feel like you're stuck, or you feel like you want to get vengeance on Christianity, there's a chance that the journey that you're on is not allowing you to move forward that you're constantly rear facing to rehash and re-examine everything. And you aren't letting it go because ultimately you examine it and then you face forward. Now, even with that, there are times that, you know, a lot of times it happens around high event seasons, like Christian uh, Easter or Christmas or places like that, where you are, So involved in the ritual and the meaning of those seasons. And then all of a sudden you're feeling this void. I'll pause and I will face backward and look at that and look at the, what is it I'm missing? What, what am I longing for? And oftentimes it comes from a place of my childhood, remembering the innocence, remembering the gatherings, remembering my grandmother, and that's enough to help me pause and remember and affirm my decision to deconstruct from the rest of it. I have the ability to control that experience at that time. I don't have to go back into church to get something meaningful from it, as a matter of fact. And, and I have to check that too. Am I still okay being an unchurched? I call myself an unchurched Christian because I still hold on to elements of my heritage. And even though there's so much of my heritage that I rejected, no one can take that away from me. Honey, I did the walk. I've been baptized twice and I've been in members. I'm an ordained elder. I spent countless hours at any church that we were ever a member of. So don't tell me I can't hold on to my heritage. No one gatekeeps. No one has the right to gatekeep, even though you'll have people out there all the time telling you can't, they do not have the right. And when you can stand assuredly in words like I just showed you about my identity, then you know you're on a healing path. Then you know that what you're doing, whether you want to call it deconstructing with elements of rejecting or you're fully rejecting, then you know that you're on a healing path and it's working for you. And I will close with this one thing. There there was a time when I was so angry that I saw myself trying to close every church in Indiana. That That, that was a sign that I was angry and bitter. I no longer feel that way. So I don't know when it shifted, but it did. So again, cues. All right, let's move on to the next question. How does being unchurched affect one's spirituality? So I think we need to start by talking about what exactly is unchurched. And these definitions are broad and they're very much specific to a situation. So how I define unchurched might not be exactly how someone else defines it. So it's a good thing to go and research for yourself as well. Um, but being unchurched, basically, it just means not belonging to any one specific denomination, not attending uh, organized religion. And this can have both negative and positive impacts, just like deconstructing and rejecting it depends on what exactly what is your objective what is your desire what is your calling what are you feeling but being unchurched it can be hard there are some negative things uh, associated with it you can feel alone because a lack of community like i said especially in high control religions it's an either or if you're not part if you're not in then i'm not taking you to lunch i'm not going to visit you i'm not going to see how your family is we are done and you are cut off. And I, I experienced that and so many other people did as well. So you have this sense of isolation and you lose this sense of identity because the very place that you, you felt like was part of your extended family is no longer there for you. So it can be very, very scary. And you also feel this lack of guidance because now for the so many years, so many of us were being spoon fed from the pulpit. Believe this, say this, interpret the Bible this way this is the only way to heaven and so we were spoon-fed constantly and that allowed us to just kind of mentally and emotionally and spiritually just check out say okay my spiritual well-being is being handled through the church and what they tell me to do and what the how they tell me to believe and now i'm out here in this vast spiritual wilderness where do i go What do I do? And that could be very, very intimidating for people. And for some people, you also hold on to guilt or shame. Am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? Am I going to hell? And for so many of us that held on to that indoctrinated beliefs, I remember as plain as day that when I left church and I knew I wasn't going back, I I said to myself, I am risking going to hell, but I was experiencing hell in church. So I'm going to take my chances. That's an indoctrinated belief because there's nothing out there that says that you're going to hell because you don't go to church. Also, I deconstructed from the entire concept of hell, which I no longer believe in. I see it now as a human made construct that was part of fear-based theology attempted at an attempt to control people within that spiritual community. So I deconstructed from the thought that I wasn't a good person and I rejected the concept of hell. So that's a really good example of Deconstructing and rejecting as well, and I also then deconstructed from the guilt and shame I felt because I felt like I was not pleasing God, and I no longer see God in that way anymore as a patriarchal anthropomorphized God sitting, grandpa sitting up in a chair that zaps my free parking spaces and heals my neighbor, but my sister or my cousin dies from the same disease. It doesn't make sense. And I no longer believe in that that God. So those places where you're feeling some of that is actually the first signals that you're moving. When you're unchurched, you're moving into a deconstructing experience, and you have to trust the journey. Those first, that first Sunday, and you're like, I'm really not getting up, and I'm not going to church. What is this? Am I? Is this true? Is it really happening? Yeah, it did. And that leads me to the positive impacts, which of course. The you're feeling kind of shaky, but at the same time, like what peace to just sit on my porch and hear the birds and drink my tea and know that I'm not going to have to listen to the sermons that sometimes were directed right at me because I was said to have a spirit of offense around me. And I wasn't the only one who thought that I have people come up after church and say, I think that sermon was for you. Like, yeah, I was pretty sure that was for me. Cause they were aware of whatever situation that I challenged or questioned. And it was getting pretty bad. Um, but from that, I became much more open-minded. I became much more accepting of our lived experiences, being part of our spiritual journey. I relished the self-discovery And finding my own way through readings and connections. And of course, I went on to study at at university and then at the seminary. So that was my calling. But finding my own way and realizing how weaponized organized religion had become to make me feel that the only place I can find community was at church, that that make me feel that my only identity that was accepted was when I was in church. So that created an authenticity in my in my spirituality that I had not found in church. So that's why it was so important for me. And you cannot deny the impact that the, the unchurched or the spiritual but not religious sector is having right now. Um, not only are we out here and we're growing because we know that the church attendance has been in an eight-decade decline, which is why you see such a rapid and frantic pace for Christian nationalism because they're trying to put a power structure in place that's not that's not sustainable because people are leaving the church in droves they're trying to figure out well how can we arbitrarily mandate its support through this power structure inside our government to try to continue to keep the white male Christian in power so i think you'll continue to see that happening but being unchurched is one of the things that actually saved me. And I don't consider it necessarily affecting my spirituality in a negative way. Even at first it felt made me felt wobbly. It actually has strengthened me and given me peace and empowerment, like nothing I've ever felt. And does it take a while? Yes. Now, like I said, I have several resource guides out there that can help you with that. If you go to RevCarla.com, look under free resources, you can download those resource guides and they can help you right today. And again, be looking for some courses and a couple of other programs that are coming soon that I think will be meaningful to you. All right. I think we have time for one more question here. Can you be spiritual, but not religious and still have a strong moral compass? There's so many people who still feel like the only way you can be good is with a god that you understand what god to be. And when I saw this question the first thing I thought of is Ricky Gervais of all people, he's the creator of Office, but he also has a a series on Netflix called Afterlife. And in that Ricky's character is challenged constantly by one of his colleagues in the office that where he works. And this person comes up to him and says, if you're an atheist, why don't why do you, do you just go around and make raping and murdering as much as you want? As if God is the compass that's stopping you from do, doing that. And Ricky just says, I do. I do go around raping and murdering as much as I want, which is not at all. And one of his other colleagues says, because he's got a conscience. That's very true because you can't say that God is the reason that people are good because you look at what people have done in the name of God and you can see that you have just created a system that will justify horrific, unconscionable actions in the name of that God. And you see it still happening today when you have child predators that are in, and sexual abusers that are being protected inside not just the Catholic Church, but the Southern Baptist Convention. If you need to go again look at that report to see how many hundreds cases of abuse that the Southern Baptist Convention protected, the Mormon report that just came out, same thing. So don't tell me that God is the reason that people are good. That's not the case at all. God is the reason that people can use cover up to protect abhorrent behavior. So this this nonsense just needs to stop. God is not the moral compass. Your conscience is. Who you are inside is what makes you good. So it's not about being religious. It's about being a good person for whatever that compass is for you that makes you do that. If you have good personal values, if you understand through introspection. And again, I'm going to have to be careful what I say here, because I don't want to take someone's atheist voice and say, well, here's what it's meaningful to me. I cannot, I cannot put that kind of moral compass over them because that's not, that's their journey. And I'm not an atheist. I do believe in some kind of divine being creation, energy awareness that is somehow permeating. I cannot explain it. Again, it's not the physical anthropomorphized grandpa, but it's somehow in me. So I can only explain that through me. So I have this spiritual connection that says part of what I do in my self-reflection and practice is to help me stay grounded and be a good person. That's also how I connect my empathy and compassion, which I think is one of the biggest things that can help. And so as an atheist, you can be empathic and you can be compassionate and kind and work for the good of the whole better than you can with someone who is using their religious beliefs to weaponize, uh, and oppress others, weaponize their scriptures and oppress others. So you see the, the spectrum and it's not religion that's keeping people from doing evil. It's your conscience. It's your connection to your compassionate side. So, um, I wanted to, I have some, uh, information on people who are atheists. And I want to just spend a little time here and then we're going to wrap this up. So here are some names of some atheists and humanists who have done incredible work in to help people, to help animals uh, in the science field, and of course, the earth. And one of them is Jane Goodall. Oh my gosh, I love her. So she's a British uh, primatologist and anthropologist, and you know what the work that she's done to dedicate, she's dedicated her life to the conservation of chimpanzees and other animals. So again, it's not religion that made her a good person Mm -hmm. who's leaving this legacy. Another one, of course, is Carl Sagan, Gloria Steinem, and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Okay, there's just a couple of there. Now let's talk a minute about uh, Einstein. Because now this can be controversial. People say, oh, he believed in God. Well, as far as we can tell, Einstein did not believe in a personal God. But however, he referred to God as in the laws of nature. Or in the universe itself, so he used this phrase "God" to say, "Okay, there's a there's this undefinable, undescribable, uncontainable mystical law of nature that I think has more to do with whatever God is than anything else." He was, and so that did. He, in other words, he wasn't an atheist in the sense, in the traditional sense of the world word, uh, word. He was raised Jewish, but he used the word "God" as more like an expression and thought that the Bible was a collection of honorable, but primitive legends or myths or stories. And that's, I think that's a good way to look at it. When you look at it that way, when you look at the Bible in that context, you can, you can often feel not only the connection to it, but be inspired by the ancient stories. Now he did believe in religion, helping establish a moral compass. And you can see that actually in the stories. I think people who want to Leviticus 1822. This is the reason why being gay is a sin. You can't do that unless we're all going to try to go back and live by the entirety of Levitical law. It's comical what's there because it was basically a time of trying to help people establish a moral compass who had been living barbarically, who didn't know how to come together and live in a tribal setting so that you actually could be try to be a good neighbor, establish boundaries. What do we need to do to perpetuate our existence? And, you know, we don't kill each other. We don't eat each other and we don't do these things. Let's um, let's try to act a little bit more, awaken our awareness that maybe we're above the animals. Maybe we're going to try. We, we have awakened. Our consciousness has, has changed us. So let's come up with some rules and guidelines. So thank God we're not all living in levitical law because at that time of course women were nothing more than cattle you were property didn't have a voice now women were of course their awareness was evolving that didn't feel good to women at all there's writings and hints of it that women felt oppressed but they had no power in that system and that's where you start to see and 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 the enslaved humans i mean the bible gives permission for you to go capture and have own people as long as they weren't your own people, you could go to different tribes and get them. Yeah, go over there and get those people. So you thank God that's no longer our moral compass. We've evolved past that. So one other person that I think is important to talk about, because I think his awareness and his beliefs also changed over time. And that's Stephen Hawking. Now, his work is known internationally for everything that he did. And he was, he was raised a Christian But he did become an atheist. However, he did use religious language in his earlier work. And he believed that science could provide a better explanation about what's happening, the creation story and things like that better than religion could or faith. And he also believed that the laws of physics could explain the origin of the universe. And there was no need for this supernatural creator which i think means like a anthropomorphized patriarchal god and he used god almost in the same way einstein did he used it in a in a personal sense like like when he was referring to the laws of nature so hawking believed that the laws of uh, science were sufficient to explain the origins of the universe and it was not necessary to invoke god in it so i think that's an important part because i think especially for those of us who Are understand that we're sitting at the seat of a table of humanity where, depending on where you were geographically, your creation story is different from the the dung beetle to masses of people rising up out of the water to the creation story that developed out of the Jewish heritage. You start to see that. It's more geographically where your ancestors are from and what you believed than it is about having this universal explanation. And that's what science does is take that language and says, well, we have, we know this much about the creation of the universe and it doesn't require divine intervention. It, it, it's almost like this godly mystery. So there's still room for this, the things that can't be explained. It's not that science is trying to disprove the existence of God. It's trying to understand our existence and how we got to where we are. Okay, we did it. I got through three questions. I was hoping to get through more, but you know me, I like to take a deep dive into these. and These are so much fun for me as well, because it also gives me a chance to expand on some of the teachings that I often have to put in 90 seconds or three minutes in a video. So I very much have. Enjoyed this time here. So, thank you for listening. And you can watch um, the uncut version of this today's episode on my YouTube channel if you want to see the video Spirituality Matters with Rev Carla. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok and at my website at revcarla.com. Okay, beloveds, I am honored to be in this space with you. Go in peace and be at peace. Go in love, may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey with you. You are not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Blessings on your week and I will see you soon. Bye for now.